Hate to interrupt all the fellowship that was going on, but um, we've got uh, we've got some teaching that needs to be done today. So, um, and we're just going to jump right. We're going to jump right in. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one, verses one through seventeen will be our scripture passage today. Now. What? What? Huh? Josh, what'd you say? This is the genealogy, yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, so uh, so this is, um, uh, Josh was just a little ahead of everyone else here and just said out loud what everybody else was thinking. Wait, this is the genealogy. Hey, we just finished our series in Titus. We're going to do, um, so I remember a couple weeks ago I'd asked for some prayer for some scripture, uh, the next series that we were going to do. And then that week, I think that the Lord really directed me to something. I thought, you know what? We're coming upon Advent season. It's been a long time since during Advent we actually did teaching from the birth accounts. Advent means coming or arrival. So the coming or arrival of the Messiah in Jesus Christ. And I was like, you know what? It's been a long time. And I thought, you know what? Let's do that. But instead of it being four weeks, Advent would normally start at the um, end of November. We're going to do eight weeks of it. And so I thought, okay, we're going to do is Matthew chapter one and two, Luke chapter one and two. We're going to go all through the beginning accounts, all the events leading right up to the birth of Christ and even right after that. Okay, and so what better way to do that than to start with the genealogy? And so remember, I asked you guys to pray, so you got what you asked for. Okay, you got what you asked for. The genealogy, uh, Matthew chapter one verses one through seventeen, and I actually changed a little bit. I actually had two sermons, two. I know I lost two. I made up for it. I have two sermons this week. Uh, so what I'm going to do, I, I, it's a choose-your-own-adventure. I'm picking one of them. And I'm picking one of this, and this is what we're going to do today. Um, and uh, so the other one was kind of like a nice, I read the passage, I notice a couple of things. Here's point one. And then I, you know, expound on that. And here's point two, and here's point three. That one got pitched. We're doing a different one today. We're actually going to start in Matthew chapter one, and then from here... We're going to go to Genesis all the way through the Bible. So if you have lunch plans, text, um, I will try to talk quickly. But uh, the way I want to do this is normally like we're looking at a passage and then I'm commenting and you're looking at me. Today we're going to be looking at the texts of Scripture um, this, this whole time. And so let me read, begin by reading the genealogy, as Josh had pointed out, with a little terror in his voice. Um, but I do want you to pay attention to, to this. And so listen carefully as I read, and then we're going to jump in to, this, uh, to the teaching. And as for those of you who've been here years ago, I, Rosie, the look on Rosie's face was really excited when she saw I was wheeling the whiteboard <laughs> over. Um, Years ago, I used to do this quite a bit. I haven't done it in a long time. So if you're new here and you're like, wait, I don't remember the whiteboard ever coming out. Well, um, this is a throwback. Here we are. Matthew's Gospel, 
the very beginning of the New Testament goes like this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of uh, Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation, deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is the reading of God's word, and we say, thanks be to God, although some of you are biting your tongue by that. This is really important. Why would God inspire the author of scriptures, inspire the scriptures, why would he include this? Why is this important? There's a lot of reasons why this is important. And we're going to look into those here right now. But I want you to notice that it is important that God has provided this here for us so that we will see the identity of Jesus. And this, if you are familiar with the Bible, you'll notice that this is uh, introducing a lot of biblical characters. And there's some we could look at uh, here that are very interesting. We could look here at even some of the kings of Israel's history. A lot of these names we, we don't know of. There's no real record of them um, in the scriptures. Some of them are not even mentioned. Some are just mentioned only once in a genealogy. Some have whole stories about them. Uh, a lot of the ones here from verses uh, 6 to, through 11 record a lot of the kings of Israel. And so we see a mixture there of good and bad kings. Notice um, in verse 8, Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Okay, Jehoshaphat was actually a really good king. In 1 Kings it says, And he did not a turn, uh, turn aside from the covenant of God, uh, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. He was a good king. And he, cre he fathered a son. Joram, or Jehoram, if you look in 
uh, the Hebrew. Jehoram was an evil king. 2 Kings 8 says, And Jehoram walked in the ways of the kings of Israel in the north, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Well, what about verse 10? And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Hezekiah was a good king. It says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, has done. But Manasseh was recorded as an evil king. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. What about verse 11? Josiah, the father of Jeconiah. Josiah, another good king. One of four good kings out of uh, the southern kingdom of Judah. None were uh, good kings out of uh, the northern tribes of Israel. Josiah, a good king. Jeconiah, an evil king. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So one of the first things that we can notice is the sinfulness and corruption of human nature. And you have here, you, have, you could have a godly person who had, turns around and produces an evil, an evil king. And those godly kings came from evil kings. So here's one little lesson for, for us. Um, that sinfulness and corruption of human nature. I think of this. It, it, uh, I think it was J.C. Ryle who pointed this out. Noticing this change, this alternation in the, in the different genealogies. He said to, to godly parents, um, even godly parents can produce wicked children. And that's not the fault of the parents. Fathers who fought to remain faithful. Like Jehoshaphat, like Hezekiah, and like Josiah. Could end up having children who make their own choices and go in a wicked direction. That's because the human heart is evil. People are not naturally, not naturally good. That's one of the first things we can notice from this list. But the thing I want us to notice in particular about this list is how this is arranged. There's two key names on which this kind of whole list is divided. And that is Abraham and David. Abraham and David. So here's where we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 12. Because I want us to see why, why is it that Abraham and David figure so prominently here and this is where we're going to go through the entire Bible today. Genesis chapter 12. The Lord God appears. And so, and again, I encourage you, if you don't have your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back to hand them out. But I want your eyes looking at the pages here because I'm not going to have very many slides for today. Actually, I'll have one slide. And this is the slide. Here's the, here's the points for today. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham, and Jesus is the fulfillment of God's covenant with David. So here's the two we're going to be looking at today. Abraham and David. Probably can't see that there on the other side there. Notice how the, it begins. Verse 1 of Matthew. The book of the genealogy. The Greek word there for book is biblos. It's where we get the name Bible means book. 
The genealogy, the Greek word there, is genesis. It's a Greek word for genealogy. Oh, that takes us to where we need to go, doesn't it? We go to the very beginning of the Bible. We go to Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 12, we hear, we see, hear the Lord God call to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here the Lord God calls out Abraham and he says to him, I've got special plans for you. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless uh, the entire world, the nations through you. Genesis chapter 12. So Abraham does that. God has a plan for Abraham. Abraham finds his way kind of in the land. And he's promised that he's going to have all of this, this wonderful, he's going to bless the world. He's going to bless the world through, through him. But Abraham is very old and he doesn't have any children. So in Genesis 15, you have the Lord God coming back to Abraham. Abraham. So sometimes his, his name changes to Abraham. So just so I'm going to use Abraham. But some places you'll read it. It'll say Abram. We're talking about the same person. Abraham in chapter 15, the Lord God comes to him and he says, And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield and your reward will be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household is, is, will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And here's this key verse. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So Abram has a, he's a very interesting question. This is many years from his being called in Genesis chapter 12. Many years have transpired. And he keeps hearing this promise from God that the entire world is going to be blessed through my descendants. He goes, but I don't have one, God. I'm having a hard time trusting in your, your plan here, but you haven't given me one. And as a matter of fact, a, a guy from Damascus, from Syria, is supposed to be the one who's going to inherit all of this, uh, this thing. So what are you going to do to show me? And he says, I promise you, I, I swear an oath to you, the Lord says, that I will make you numerous. As a matter of fact, how numerous? He took him outside to show him the stars in the heaven. One time we were making tacos at home, and Ariana stopped me, and she goes, Dad, how many tacos have you eaten? And I said, Ari, come outside. <laughs> Let me show you the stars. In the so is the number of tacos I've eaten. And, and Paul, too, right? Yeah. So here's the promise. He's Okay, so the Lord swears this promise, but it hasn't come to happen yet. Okay. Turn to Genesis chapter uh, 17. Let me tell you what happens in the meantime. Sarah, Abraham kind of come up with an idea. Let me offer you my, my maidservant, 
um, Hagar, and you could have a child with Hagar, and then that could be the child. And so they do. You have Abraham and Hagar, and she gets pregnant and has a child, uh, Ishmael. That happens in the interim here. So Abraham has a son, Ishmael, but not through Sarah. But notice what happens in Genesis chapter 17, which is 13 years later. Ishmael is 13 years old at this time. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations. And then notice this kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring or your seed after you throughout all their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. So here's a couple of passages you'll need to, to keep in mind in the story of, of Abraham and God's covenant with Abraham. And a couple of things to notice. Uh, there's going to be a people and a place that are promised to them. But not only will there be a people, which you saw in Genesis chapter 12. He goes, you're going to bless the world through you. And then he goes, you're actually going to have numerous descendants. And then actually, I'm going to bring those people back to this place of land. And so they're going to have this place. And it's going to be from this place, this land, that all of the blessing of the world is going to come. And not only that, I'm going to give you a king will come from you. Kings will come from you, it says. And he says, and it will come from your very body. He continues, notice uh, down to verse, uh, verse 15. And God said to Abram, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and moreover, I will give you a son by her. Okay, not by Hagar, by Sarah, Sarah. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Okay. This is not Ishmael. As a matter of fact, Sarah gets a little jealous of Hagar and Ishmael and wants to send them away. And Abraham's kind of really perplexed by this. And the Lord goes, goes, yes, send them, send them away. Because I've promised you, you're going to have a, you're going to have a son who's going to come from your own body. And that's the line from which this is going to take place. Okay. And this, of course, is Isaac. Genesis chapter 21. Isaac is born. And we're all familiar with the story about Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham to, to, and said to him, 
Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer them as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. Okay? What about Ishmael? Wait, wait, I mean, what do you mean your only son? In God's sight, he says, that son is the son of promise. That son is the one through whom all of the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Notice, God's, you already have kind of a branch in Abraham's tree, and he's saying, God is saying, no, no, this line, not everybody that comes from you is going to be a blessing. There's a line, a lineage that's happening here. And so we all know this story in Genesis chapter 22, binds the boy, the boy goes, where's the offering? Uh, mm, mm, and then ties him up and offers him. The Lord says, no, stop. Now I know. Abraham, Abraham, now I know that you, you believe in me. But notice, so, and that's usually where the story ends. Notice what, how, how the story ends in verse 15. And the angel Lord said to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn. So it says an angel, but this is an angel that's speaking on the Lord's behalf because it's the Lord who says, by myself, I have sworn. Okay, are you guys tracking with me here? Just tracking, okay. Which by the way, who else, to whom else can God swear? By myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that's on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Okay, so we go from Abraham and notice that there's going to be a people. There's going to be a place and there are going to be a kings that will come from them. And this is not going to be through Ishmael, but this is going to come through Isaac. Okay, so we got Abraham, Isaac. <laughs> you're, you're looking at the genealogy in Matthew and go, this is all far we've gotten. This is bad news. No, no, just, just track with me here. Okay. God, and then Isaac has, uh, God, uh, Isaac has uh, two sons, right? Esau and Jacob, right? Esau sells his birthright, and the Lord God says, your line is going to go through Jacob. Notice it's Genesis 35. Turn to Genesis 35. And God speaks to Jacob, which who his name gets changed. Do you know what his name gets changed to? Israel, right. So it gets changed from who, he who grasps at the heel or deceiver to Israel to, which means like he strives or contends with God. That's the L at the end. Okay. And then notice what the Lord God says to Jacob in 35 verse 9 through 12. God appeared to Jacob again, and he said, uh, and when he came from Paran Aram and blessed him, and God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall you, uh, your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Okay, we know this part of the story. So he called his name Israel. 
Verse 11, and God said to him, I am God Almighty. We've heard that before, right? Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations will come from you. And what? Say it with me. Kings shall come from your body, own body. And then notice in verse 12, the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. Okay? So notice the people, notice the place, and notice the king. It's transferred from Abraham. It doesn't go through Ishmael. It goes through Isaac. It doesn't go through Esau. It goes through Jacob. And this comes from God himself the whole time. Now, Jacob had some sons. How many did he have? Twelve, right? Well, to twelve tribes. Okay? The twelve tribes of Israel. And then in Genesis 49, you have kind of the... This is kind of like the reading of the will. So if somebody has... You've seen a movie, right? Where, they've, uh, where they're reading the will of somebody who's passed away and they're giving things you know, to the various family members. Have you ever seen a movie where they've done that? And the person who thinks that they're going to get something... You know, and they realize, uh-oh, the, the deceased person didn't quite like that person very much, and so they gave everything to somebody else. You know, never, never seen anything like that. Uh, kind of a, an unfortunate thing. This is very similar to that kind of reading of the will, except he's still alive. And what he's doing is he's blessing them all, right? He's aged, he's, he's on his deathbed, and he's bringing all of them in to come and bless them. And so he goes through in chronological order from the oldest to or the, the oldest firstborn to the youngest and he starts with Reuben in, in verse uh, verse 3 Reuben you are my firstborn you're my might you're the first fruit of my strength preeminent dignity and preeminent power but you're unstable as water you shall not have preeminence <laughs> just imagine so now you got the scene right of like the reading of the will and the person finds out oh I don't get it it's not Reuben. You shall not have preeminence because you went with, uh, yeah, and there's some details there the older folk can read. Notice it goes in Simeon. Simeon, it's not you either. Goes to Levi. Levi, it's not you either. But now in verse 8, what, does he happen? what happens with Judah? Verse 8, Judah, your brothers shall praise you, fourthborn. And Judah's name sounds like praise in Hebrew, by the way. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. So it's a little kind of play on the words here. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Your father's sons, your brothers, will bow down before you. Judah is a lion cub from the prey, my son. You have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? Here's the key part in verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. You guys know what a scepter is, right? That's the big staff that's the symbol of the king. You ever see the king or the queen, you know, in the movies, and they're usually holding something. They have a crown. There's usually three symbols. They're usually holding an orb, which is symbolizing their kind of rule over all of the earth. They have a crown on their head, and then they're holding a, a scepter. 
That's one of the biblical pictures also for a ruler here. So kings are going to come from your body, Abraham. Kings are going to come from your body, Esau. Kings are going to come from your body, Jacob. And he passes this not to all of the tribes, but to one, Judah. Notice Numbers chapter 24. Turn to right, Numbers chapter 24. This is the oracle of Balaam. We all remember the story of Balaam's donkey. But Balaam issues a, a, a final oracle here. And it re reiterates this line of lineage of kingship here. Verse 15. And he took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also, his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the city. This oracle from Balaam is echoing exactly the same thing, that there's going to come an ultimate king that's going to come from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the line of Judah. By the way, where are we in our genealogy? Matthew chapter 1. Notice the order. Abraham. Why does he start with Abraham? Because this is the one to whom the promise was given. That a king is going to come. That's going through whom you're going to bring blessing to the world. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is why Matthew has put this here. Matthew has in mind all of these verses that I've read to you, plus more. He's noticing, he goes, wait a second, there's a track. Through our biblical story, the Lord God has spoken to these people all through these times. And we're talking decades and centuries are passing between these. And the Lord still comes and he's echoing it over and over and over again. There's going to be kings coming from you in one particular king will come at the end. We could go through here. We could look at Deuteronomy chapter 17 where the, the Lord God gives instructions to Moses when the people are going to come into the land. They're going to get a king. Echoing these things here. When they get into the land there's judges that are ruling over. So now we're into the book of Judges. When they get into the land, there's just judges who are ruling over. And regularly you hear the refrain, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Over and over again, there was no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. As a matter of fact, that's the last verse. Until ultimately there comes a king. 1 Samuel 8. Turn to 1 Samuel where the people of Israel are saying, we want a king. 
We want a king like all of the other nations around us. Which does suggest in the, that demand that they don't want the king that God has planned for them. So they end up picking Saul. Uh, or Shaul is in Hebrew. You know what Shaul means? The one who is begged for. Which is appropriate, right? That's how we begin. We want a king like all the nations around us. So they, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, you have this God giving permission. Okay, fine. That's the one you're going to choose. We're going to give you him. Uh, you're not going to like it, though. You're not going to like the leaders you've chosen. That was not an election reference. Well, maybe it was. Maybe it was a little. Why? Because Well, he's going to steal things from you. He's going to make life really hard on you. You could read that for yourself, 1 Samuel 8. Here's the problem, though. Where's Shaul? Where's Saul from? What tribe? Is he from the tribe of Judah? His tribe regiment. Need what from the tribe of Judah? So what ends up happening? Let's go back to Matthew. What does Matthew tell us? Wait a second. This king, he can't come through the tribe of Benjamin. He's coming through the tribe of Judah. Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah. Perez to Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Minadab. Minadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. So here we go. Now we get to our second one. King David. The anointing of King David. We won't go into his entire life, but let me show you something that happens kind of near the end of, of his career. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. David has kind of been ruling all over the place, and now ultimately he is in Jerusalem. He's in the capital, and he's dwelling in a nice house. The tabernacle with the Ark of the Presence, the Ark of the Covenant, is kind of still in the tent. And he gets this idea, you know what? I live in a house. The Lord lives in a tent. The Lord should have a house. So it's only fair. So he goes to Nathan and Nathan goes, cool, sounds good to me. Nathan goes to bed that night. The Lord God shows up to Nathan and goes, no, no, no. You need to go back to David and you need to tell him this. You go tell my servant. Thus says the Lord God, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I was brought up out of the people of Israel out of Egypt. Until this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling in all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not build me a house? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant, David, and this is the key part here. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. That's kingly language right there, right? Because the king is usually the chief warrior. And I will make for you a great name. 
like the name of the great ones on earth, and I will appoint a place for my people of Israel. Notice, people and place, king. And will plant them so that, when, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more, and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. And I'll give, give you rest for your enemies. But then notice, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house, which is interesting. This is the, also the word for dynasty. It's a, a house, you know, so the house of Tudor, the house of Stuart, you know, that's it's a play on words here. The Lord's really funny with this kind of stuff. You want to build me a house, an actual physical structure with walls and a roof. He goes, well, actually, what's happening is I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to make a dynasty from Abraham, from Isaac, from Jacob, from Judah, through all of them to you. And now from you is going to come this dynasty. I love it. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. Sound familiar? And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father. And he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men. With the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, Nathan said those to David. Here, the Lord shows up like he did with Abraham. And he says, I'm making a covenant with you. Doesn't use the word covenant here. Psalm 89, it uses a covenant to describe what's happening here. I'm making, I make a sworn covenant to you. That you're going to have a son who's going to be on the throne. And he does. He has a line of sons. But there's going to be one in particular. All of those sons' kingdoms will fail. They'll go to their graves. They'll get a verdict on how well they did. But ultimately, there will be one whose kingdom will be forever. This is what Psalm 2 is writing about. This is this enthronement of this king. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds and cast their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds these rebels in derision. Why? He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to set my king on my holy hill in Zion. There's the place. That's the place it has to happen. And then the king speaks in verse 7. I will tell her this decree. The Lord said to me. So he's, he's saying this. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Right? That's exactly what the Lord said in 2 Samuel 7. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So this would be a psalm that would be read every time that a new king of the southern kingdom would be anointed into his kingship. But this isn't talking just about those earthly kings. Switch to Psalm 89. And this is, I referenced this a moment ago. This is the psalm that speaks about this covenant that God made with David. 
Verse 2, for I said, steadfast love will be built up forever in the heavens. You will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Goes on to, that whole psalm goes on to speak about this one who's coming from David. That God has made a sworn covenant, just like he did to Abraham. He made a sworn covenant that a king is going to come from you. And his kingdom will be forever. Psalm 110. This is a psalm of David. This is David writing this. And he writes, the Lord said to my Lord. Wait a second. David, you're the king. How could you have a Lord? Who is this you're talking about? David sees something. He sees the sovereign Lord saying to this other Lord, to whom David is a servant, even though David is a king, sit at my right. So you've got to see what David is writing here. He's writing what he's seeing. He's seeing the Lord say this to this Lord. Sit at my right hand, the Lord says to this other Lord, until I make your enemies your footstool. Okay? The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty what? Scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer them freely in the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew, the dew of your youth will be yours. This is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Because they clearly saw that this is a psalm about, about Jesus. So now you get what, what Matthew is doing here. He's not just recording a genealogy. He's saying, this is royal lineage. This isn't just Ancestry.com. This is a royal lineage that was promised all the way back from Abraham all the way until Jesus. Even though there was a period of time when there was no king in the southern kingdom of Israel, right? Because you have this deportation to Babylon that takes place in verses 11 and 12. And you still have this royal line of people. You have this entire family. And it goes all the way down to Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. None of those people were kings. That's why you don't see them very often in here. However, their lineage goes directly to David. And their lineage goes back to Judah and back to Jacob and back to Isaac and back to Abraham. This is royal. This is a royal lineage. Jesus is king. He is the king that the Lord has been speaking of for millennia. He is the supreme ruler over all things. And he has demonstrated it by coming to earth. Humbling himself. Remember how he enters into Jerusalem on a donkey? Right? Your king comes to you on a donkey. Jesus is that king. Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, 
And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. This is this shoot, this branch from Jesse, which is David's father, right? And he, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what he hears. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. That's Isaiah's prediction. So when you read verses in the New Testament like this one in 1 Timothy chapter 6, our Lord Jesus Christ, which you kind of read over and so you stop and realize, oh, what's the significance of this? Our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And we say, Amen. And Revelation says, They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And these Foolish little beggars that seek to overthrow God's rule and overthrow God's law and make themselves their own laws and their own kind of rulers. He ends up, this is, this is their destiny. Jesus is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses and from his mouth, comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. You read that genealogy. And you go, hopefully, hopefully now as we read that genealogy, we go, whoa, Jesus has got royal lineage. Not only does he have royal lineage, the line stops. It stops with Jesus. Because his kingdom is forever. Jesus didn't have another son. Jesus didn't go to the grave and went to be rest with his fathers, as it says of all of the other kings of Judah and all the other kings of Israel. And there's an evaluation. Oh, he did right. No, he did perfectly, righteously in the eyes of the Lord. As a matter of fact, he doesn't stay in the grave. He comes out and he doesn't have an earthly line that continues. It stops with him because his kingdom goes on forever. And all who are in Christ are not only forgiven and adopted and cherished, we are co-heirs with him and will rule and reign with him forever. Amen. What better announcement or good news could you hear no matter which direction the election goes? Amen. There is one kingdom 
We fight for the kingdoms here in this, in this world. We do fight for our rights, and we're going to lose them. Mark my words. We're going to lose them. I mean, if you're going to take nuns to the Supreme Court, forcing them to pay for abortifacients, don't think it's going to stop there. We may lose. But we have a king who's on a throne, and he is ruling and reigning, and we are on his side, and he is on our side, no matter what happens. Amen, amen and amen. Brothers and sisters, be strong and encouraged in this news that there is royal lineage, and it comes to Christ, and we're a part of that kingdom. Amen? amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that from Genesis to Revelation, that this story that you are telling, that you are in control this whole time, and that even back in a desert in the Middle East, when you spoke to that one man, Abram, you were already revealing your plan for the ruling and reigning of the sovereign one, your son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that by faith in him, not works of our own, just receiving the, by the, just receiving the gift that you have offered in him, that you've now made us your children and you've made us a part of your, of, of your kingdom, the kingdom of your son, Jesus. And God, we, we ask that you would, you would encourage our hearts with this truth. And may we never read a genealogy the same way again. That we read it and now we see this was your doing. And it's beautiful in our sight. So God, equip us with the courage and the strength to fight for your kingdom and to offer that kingdom to others. We pray this in Christ's mighty name and all God's people said, amen and amen. Let's stand for a closing benediction. And our closing benediction will be, uh, will be this from Revelation. Worthy are you, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Peace be with you.